was almost Christmas. But this Christmas was darker, less cheerful. But I still believed in Santa, in magic and miracles, and the hope that we could find joy again. But our village had given up on miracles and on each other. They had forgotten the spirit of Christmas, the sacrifice of giving. And my family was no different. I tried to help them to believe again, but we were no longer the loving family I remembered. They too had given up. And eventually, so did I. And for the first time, I didn't wish for a miracle. I wished for them to go away. A wish I would come to regret. And that night, in the darkness of a howling blizzard, I got my wish. I knew St. Nicholas was not coming this year. Instead, it was a much darker, more ancient spirit. The shadow of St. Nicholas. It was Krampus. As he had for thousands of years. Krampus came not to reward, but to punish. Not to give, but to take. He and his helpers. I could only listen as they dragged my family into the underworld, knowing that I would be next. Krampus didn't take me that night. He left me as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost, when belief is forgotten, and the Christmas spirit dies. The first thing I noticed when I was looking up this movie to watch, that there is like 40 straight-to-video titles that you had to choose from. 40. That's an exaggeration. But not that far off, though. I heard there was like a shit ton, but that was... <laughs> a shit ton's way more than 40. That's official uh, unit of measurements. We're going to dig into Krampus. I don't know if this is a hot take or not for you guys, but it is for me. After re-watching it last night, and then I rewatched it again this morning, I welled up, and then I realized, wow, this is probably the most underappreciated Christmas movie, I'm going to say it, of 
of all time. Of all time. I was that moved by it. Am I off the base? It feels classic. It feels epic. It's beautiful. The cinematography, everything about it, it sets the tone. It hits all of the elements of the Christmas movies that we love. I looked at it and I can find, I saw Home Alone. I saw National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I saw Gremlins. And then I saw this beautiful mashup of Omi's backstory that was a mix between classic Christmas animation mixed with stop motion animation that everybody loves of Rankin Bass. He found a way to hit all the notes. Wait, there was more. You also forgot it had a little bit of the thing in it and it had a little <laughs> it had a little bit of the shining in it. Yeah, I guess you're right for the thing and the shining, obviously the blizzards and to and be the snowplow. The, the snowplow and to be secluded in there hit all the elements and not in a bad copycat way. I think it just touched on all of them. You know, with Home Alone, both characters in Home Alone and in Crumpus, they wished their family away and they got it. Yeah, you had these kind of homemade devices. Well, not even homemade devices, but the gingerbread men, you know, trying to nail gun um, David Kushner's character and he's there with the chopping board trying to defend himself. I was thinking Home Alone when I saw that scene in particular. What were the other ones you mentioned? I just got the feeling when family walked in, I just got the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. 100%, like, oh. yeah. They had the aunt that nobody wanted. Cousin Eddie. The in-law cousin, they had the cousin Eddie that he couldn't really relate. I, I said that to myself as well. I said, you know, Adam Scott is like the Chevy Chase character and David Kushner was like the Randy Quaid character. So I, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. He's cute, ain't he? Only problem is he's got a little bit of Mississippi leg hound in him. If the mood catches him right, he'll grab your leg and just go to town. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want him around if you wear his short pants, if you know what I mean. <laughs> A word of warning, though, if he does lay into you, it's best to just let him finish. Here's the thing about this movie. It's listed as a horror comedy. The special effects on these creatures, Crumpus's little helpers, we'll call them, were very scary looking. This was more horror because if you notice, nobody was safe. Nobody was safe at all. Usually kids and animals are safe. And if you notice, those were the first... Sorry, this is going to be a spoiler podcast, just in case if you haven't already figured that out. Nobody was safe. The first victim was a young girl who was not the Friday the 13th type young girl. I mean, she was a young child and she was the first victim. The way I looked at it was... Tony Collette is in it, right? And Tony Collette's a fine actor. So to adults, Hereditary is one of the most messed up movies in, in the last number of years. We still can't forget some of the scenes in that. And this is the kind of thing that if young children watched it, it would really mess with their heads as well. Because the beauty about this film, and my huge applause to Michael Doherty for doing this, was 95% of it was shot in New Zealand on stage sets with practical effects the only cgi in this are those gingerbread men you know so the the practicalities of some of the monsters including krampus and this that is what everyone wants to see we're fed up of cgi in movies and it doesn't matter what genre it is i'm just i'm fed up with cgi unless it's really really good yeah but i thought it was it was really skillful i think to just use the cgi sparingly for that one effect just for the uh gingerbread cookies so you do get to see that, but also everything else being practical. It just makes it feel like an even bigger movie. And because they filmed in New Zealand, they worked with a company called Weta Workshop. Who yeah, they did the worked. Lord of the Rings, right? Exactly. I watched some behind the scenes stuff. like, And you've got you know an actor inside in, in the body suit of Krampus. Apparently the suit weighed about 75 pounds. And he had to rely on a, a screen in front of him so he knew where to go and which what way to walk. And he was doubting himself and 
Michael Doherty would come back to him after the take and he would say that was amazing and he would kind of breathe a sigh of relief and you even had actors inside in that disgusting jack-in-the-box thing you know which was really messed up and creepy right and And I think that's where that's where I got the thing because Adam Scott drops that line he's like oh come on when he sees the -the (laughs) jack-in-the-box this is a classic 80s monster movie this is fantastic stuff this is what we live for this is what gets us up in the morning Krumpus's little helpers other than the robot that little winged angel the jack-in-the-box they were terrifying looking they were legitimate if you look at their face something that was like from your nightmares this is when it to get into gremlins ghoulies critters it's that fine line between oh that's cute versus oh that's creepy but to me this leaned more into horror but like i said in a beautiful way so to go back to the origins of this story michael doherty as we know he's the guy who directed trick or treat the anthology series from a number of years back and he's a big fan of halloween and he's a big fan of Christmas. And he got an e-card um, many, many years back for Christmas when people used to send e-cards via emails. And, and Krampus was on the e-card. And it came into his head that he wanted to do this story. So he pitched it. And I think he pitched it around 2011. And they started shooting it in 2014. And then it was released in 2015. And it was pushed back by a few days only to coincide with the Krampus Knocked Festival in Eastern Europe. So the Krampus Knocked in many ways in Eastern Europe because th- th- this character, this creature, this fork-tailed, goat, hoof-cloven-footed creature goes back to the 17th century. And he is the type of guy that, as a child, if you're being naughty, then you're not just going to get a lump of coal in your stocking. You're going to get drowned or eaten or thrown into hell by Krampus. You gotta be fucking kidding. I thought a great the great touch was the way they opened the movie with the Black Friday shoppers. Yes. Although it's slow motion because it just kind of sets it off in this whole spirit of meanness in a way. Even before the Black Friday type thing, right? He wanted to use the old 80s Universal logo and Universal weren't keen on that. And instead he had this brilliant logo of the globe coming around and it's frozen and you see the Universal sign and it's frozen. I thought that was even better. But in terms of us being scared of anything, I thought that idea, again, that was shot in well. New Zealand of these people coming in and trampling each other for Christmas. I'm the type of person, I don't buy into that shit. That's just dangerous. And, <laughs> you know, I've been working in healthcare for 20 odd years and, and I can see danger everywhere. You know, I've seen people with the most simplest of injuries and, and all I could see was the logistics of danger and that. And that frightened me more than anything. And it, it's sad to see people getting so wrapped up in, in greed. Watching them bounce around like a fucking game, like a wine up toy like 250 pounds of self-serving greed on wheels that was the big part of this film right we came from a time where santa claus it was supposed to be a representation of something good the christmas spirit you've always heard about that and you know slowly over the years the generations it started to pivot to the point now is we're living a shadow version of ourselves so why not now present a shadow version of santa claus like omi said he's not here to reward he's here to take away he's not here to celebrate he's here to punish I think it hits for me specifically because we know Jaws is my favorite film of all time because it hits on a primal fear, right? The fear of the unknown, the fear of what you can't see. This was hitting on folklore that goes back a long time 
long, long time. So it's probably embedded in our DNA of generations of generations, like a really dark, it was a dark fairy tale, but it, it stayed dark. Like Mario said, this was what we would call a no sell Christmas movie in the sense that they never winked at the cat. Even Adam Scott's few times, like kind of tried to be funny. It added a little bit of levity, but it never took away the sense of danger. The kids are gone now. The kids are victims. The dog became a victim. That's when people like they crossed the line. The dog became a victim. You never saw it, but you heard it. That was a really big touch in keeping this film a horror movie. You sure as hell fucked up his dog. <laughs> you fucked up his dog. That's what you did. You yeah. fucked up his dog. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy shit, man. And I think in terms of the victims, your rooting for different victims fluctuates throughout. There was times I wanted David Kushner's character to die and then I just didn't want him to die because he was redeeming himself throughout in many ways because when you see him initially, he's a complete jerk and he's, he's so offensive and he's vomit inducing to look at him (laughs) the casting was great but you're right throughout this story this family who came in the in-laws they were redeeming themselves aunt dorothy who came in and she's like where's the nog i need to get drunk and she was very gruff she was the aunt edna and they're like oh my god why did you bring her here but by the end she was defending the baby she was handling the gun it was like krampus was forcing them to be a united family they start the film splintered and throughout this terrifying event, they become a family again. Brother never told you, never threaten a man's family. And it's almost like you have polar opposites. So you've got, as you say, Conchita um, Farrell's character. She comes in and she says something to the effect of, it looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. She's the polar opposite to Krista Stadler's wonderful Omi. I mean, her dulcet tones, her just the beauty in her character. She's... Just like I said, the polar opposite to Conchetta Farrell's character in, in completely. They all have a role and they redeem themselves throughout. I meant to check this before we started. I forgot. Well, this movie was a PG-13, right? Because they don't show the kills, actually. You don't get a lot of gore in there, which I think also sort of like puts it in your head that maybe these folks are still alive and you're expecting the moment where you're going to find them alive. Michael Doherty wanted it to be an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. He really did. The studios, you know, said no. They wanted to bring it down to a PG-13. Yeah. Well, we know the studios, they're really just not even concerned with violent content more than they're concerned with the nudity and the dropping the F-bombs. you got to be fucking kidding. Were you not taken back at least a little bit when you saw the little girl's combat boots? You saw her boots going down the throat. I guess what the difference is with Hollywood, right? And, and Mario, correct me if I'm wrong. If the blood is not red, then it's okay. That's generally a thing that uh, they do. But this movie feels like an R. This is like, I think, a skill you have to learn as a filmmaker or whatever. If you're working in Hollywood, you're making a PG-13 film. You get one F-bomb and you have to drop it strategically. I was so happy with this casting. Tony Collette, she's one of those actresses that you can't take your eyes off of. She gets me emotional. That scene with her in Sixth Sense, in that end scene when she realizes that her mom's ghost can see her and she's proud of her. The way she chokes up. And in this one, she played a little bit of a different role. She was just almost like... The housewife that was doing her duty, everything had to be perfect. She was very OCD. But you saw the vulnerabilities start to get exposed as Krumpus's and Krumpus' little helpers starts putting them in danger. You can no longer put up this facade when you're fighting for your life. I remember her breakthrough performance in Muriel's Wedding. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's this Australian comedy, kind of an independent movie. And she was amazing in it. And from there on, you know, she has seldom put a foot wrong. 
Um, she's a fine actor, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the woman getting an Oscar at some point one day, because in fairness to her, um, she really is a fine actor, and she's very convincing in this. She's even more convincing. She's terrifying. The whole hereditary is terrifying in its entirety. It's one of those films that I would struggle to watch again, as well as Midsummer. I didn't realize she was Australian. I remember seeing I remember seeing the video box to Muriel's wedding all the time at the video store. I never saw it though. Yeah, I, I saw it in, in the nineties, um, and it was a great movie. Um, just like a very decent independent comedy and then people were critics were raving about it and i picked it up and i watched it and it is definitely a cult classic so you know she's come a long way since then and and you know i applaud her for that is she like the new scream queen i feel like she's taken a turn into doing just a lot of horror movies lately she could be this um horror queen of sorts if that's what she wants to do Uh, i know she's been in other films like she was in shaft a number of years ago with uh samuel l jackson but certainly hereditary still resonates with people because it was so brutal to watch Krampus is is the Christmas movie that people almost want to watch out of pure rebellion because you know they feel like they shouldn't they feel that Christmas should be all about these Hallmark movies or else we'll watch Home Alone for the millionth time and I'm not dismissing Home Alone because it's a great movie Krampus and Krampus Little Helpers are the wet bandits to a whole nother level because they oh. they really will it's not going to be a zany madcap get you they're going to get you for real just so you guys know I have a tarantula well, now there are no witnesses. Uh, here's your Easter egg. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. One of the gingerbread voices, Lumpy, you know, because there was a couple of them, was actually voiced by Seth Green. Yes, so, and so the they- other one was voiced by Justin Roiland, him of Rick and Marty. Yes, and there are two more Easter eggs within the movie in that you see a poster on one of the bedroom walls of not just Robot Chicken, but also Rick and Marty. Directors have those actors or the people that they work with that they put in their film almost as good luck charms. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a thing. If you're working out there and you're making stuff, you know, you have friends in the industry, you have friends making other stuff, get them to drop by, do little cameos for free. Boom. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Don't need to. Didn't um, Michael Doherty go from this to Godzilla? This this got him the Godzilla gig? This did get him the Godzilla gig. Directing, he went from Trick or Treat to Krampus, who uh, Godzilla, King of Monsters. Let's jump to the ending. I don't know about you guys. I always talk about my favorite film of all time, but my favorite TV series of all time, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt, is Twilight Zone. Stands the test of time. Like, you can watch it today, and even the cheesy effects still hold up because the essence of the story is there. This ending was Twilight Zone 101, and I loved it. It's not the ending you expected. So great minds think alike, as they say, because I had exactly the same feeling when it came to the, its conclusion. It was pure and utter Twilight Zone feelings for me at the end. There is an ambiguous ending, and there are two theories. Michael Doherty will not confirm either. One of the theories is that they're put in the globe to live for an eternity as punishment, to live the same day over and over. And the other theory is that they're put in the globe so that Krampus can watch over them and make sure that they live their lives well. Here is another very interesting Easter egg. When you see Krampus, or as the correct pronunciation is Krampus, you know, when he's putting the globe down, there are several other globes, and there are houses within those globes, and one of those houses 
is his own house, and another house is Norman Bates's house. Oh, I did not see that. I had this thought, you know, Mario and I always have a lot of discussions about the multiverse, and now you basically have all these... The Krampus first small- now? Is that what we're saying? Wow, they could have so many different other universes in these globes around Christmas movies. They could have the Gremlin house. They could have the Home Alone house. I love the idea that Norman Bates' home was in there. I mean, it's a universal property, so they could have dropped it in there as an Easter egg. I don't see why not. Did this movie Mar- do well at the box office or what? I think I read it was about $65 million on a $15 million budget. I'm just curious. I don't yes. think this movie was a big hit because I don't think a lot of people saw it. Here's the thing that blows me away on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, we just read it because it's a great conversation piece. We're hit and miss with Rotten Tomatoes, but it only had a 51% audience score. You've got to be fucking kidding it actually had a higher critic score. It had 67%. Most of the Christmas films that we loved, nobody went and saw A Christmas Story in the theaters. Everybody watched it at home. So is there something about some of these holiday movies that they almost force repeated viewing? When we didn't have the internet to go through, we would watch films over and over and over again. Like Mario said, he would record the dialogue to hear the dialogue over and over. So these repeated viewings, the truth is relentless and the meaning of the film gets through to you some Sometimes it takes multiple viewings. I think that this film, I said it to Mario earlier before we started recording, I think this film is going to stand the test of time. People will still be watching this the same way they're watching Gremlins today after, you know, a number of decades. Yeah. There are so many shades of Tobe Hooper's Poltergeist in there, and most of the Spielberg stuff, Joe Dante. As you were saying earlier, it, it, it hit so many notes and homages to so many different films between National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Home Malone, etc. It's a really, really good movie, and, and it is somewhat underrated, in fairness. And then, talking about those particular movies, but you've got this brilliant movie within a movie, when you see Omi's backstory, beautiful stop-motion Henry Selleck-type stuff, it was just awesome. Her dulcet tones, like I say, telling that story, it was beautiful, you know. There was something for everyone in this film, I felt. Remembering Kill Bill, how much everybody loved that anime backstory of Oren Ishii. That's what it felt like to me, that they inserted something that I want to see more. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! You know, so many movies out there on the subject of Krampus. I think there's one called Krampus Origins. Krampus is a is a free IP, right? It's a public domain character, so anyone can make a Krampus movie. I suppose, to be fair, there are probably movies that didn't have a decent budget. And in fairness to Michael Doherty, with, I think the budget was about $15 million. The decision to move the production to New Zealand, the decision to work with Weta was... A genius move because the work they did was outstanding. That Jack in the Box character was terrifying. The Krampus himself, whom it was brilliant that they they hinted all the way throughout. I love that piece where he's running along the the rooftops. Oh and, yeah, and, and the, the the climax in is you see him at the end, and he's got these long fingernails, and he's wiping away the tears from Max's face, and when you see his face. His face is, they're theorizing that his face is actually of a dead Santa Claus. You don't really see Krampus's face. He has a death mask on him. And this very, 
you know, slack jaw. Yeah, he's got his mouth open the whole time. The reason he has his mouth open and, and slack jawed is because that is a mask of either Santa Claus, a death mask of Santa Claus, or a death mask of somebody else entirely. It, it, it's, it's not clear on who it is, but... It's a really good look. Going back to, you mentioned that Michael Doherty wanted to use that old logo, the old Universal oh. logo. This easily oh. feels like a 80s movie. I think when you're making a horror movie these days, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get rid of everybody's phones and you've got to get rid of Google. Otherwise, you can't have a horror movie. So this one like knocks them out immediately with the snowstorm and we've got no phones for the rest of the movie. This feels like it had been filmed in 1984 or something. And, and you see one piece where Adam Scott takes out a map, you know? A map. And, and That's crazy. A physical piece of paper, a map. Not Google Maps, a map. Yeah. And starts circling and, and tries to, to find out where his daughter may be or, or, or what the, the trend is or where they can go to try and survive. And yeah, you're dead right, Mario. It, it, it is very much like that 80s movie where you just don't have that backup of modern technology because everything is... Home Alone in 2021. He texts mom, Ma, where are you at? <laughs> oh, I forgot you. I'll be right home. Movie yeah. over. <laughs> let me let me Uber eats you some food. <laughs> it's so messed up that it's actually a prequel to the movie Saw. Yep, that's right. Home Alone is a prequel to Saw because Kevin McAllister is actually the true backstory to Jigsaw. One thing I, I am not familiar with. Again, this had this very the dark fairy tales, and it says it's of Austro. Bavarian folklore. How far back does Krampus go? In, in Ireland, growing up in the 80s, we would have known nothing about Krampus. And in the early 2000s, actually, there was a, an influx of Eastern European people came to Ireland. Um, and we have a, a wonderful Eastern European community living in Ireland. Uh, and I work with some of them. They're lovely people. I think they would have grown up with the idea of a Krampus, as they call him, dates back to the 17th century. There are a few theories on, on Krampus. It was um, a pagan idea. So in many ways, it, it's kind of like the trick-or-treat of Halloween. People would dress up to look scary. And, and they would go around and create mischief to oppose the Catholic Church and Christianity. Krampus apparently predates Christianity. And then, of course, there's the theory that, you know the way things evolve, that parents would use it to threaten their children before Christmas. Do you know what? Pine Natal is coming, and he is going to feast on all your toes. I mean, look... My kids are in there. They're all over 18 now at this point, the three of them. I would have said to them when they were kids, you know, if you don't behave yourself, you're not going to get anything from Santa Claus. And and people would have said that you get a lump of coal in your stocking and all that. But it's it sounds like that peace, people in Eastern Europe and, and in countries like the Czech Republic and Croatia and Austria. I mean, Krista Stadler, who plays Omi, she, she's an Austrian actor. Some Michael Doherty, in fairness, then went, went all out to try and get these authentic type people for, for the movie. But he's he's depicted as this cloven-hooved, hairy, goat-type creature who is like the polar opposite to St. Nicholas and that if children are bad, he will come and he will either eat them or drown them or drag them to hell. <laughs> I guess yeah, that's taking it to a whole nother level. We're not going to bring you something. We got that beat. We're going to drag you to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Eat your vegetables or Santa will kill you. You better watch out. 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 He's making.
making a list. He's checking it twice. He's gonna find out. 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 Going through some of the folklore, there's the crump list, the way they, they pronounce it. It's Krampus. customary to offer Krampus schnapps, a strong distilled fruit brandy that would tame the wild pagan spirits of Germanic folklore. I've never heard that in our last Christmas horror podcast. We talked about Pine Natal. If you didn't leave him a stick of butter, he would take one of your children's toes. There was no hint to that that he had any kind of weakness like that in this film. Look, the only thing that I thought started to go into like maybe it was his weakness is when he tasted Max's tear. Since that was an honest tear, was that going to be what the redemption was? Because first Max was going to said, I'm going to fight you. And obviously he didn't have any weakness and he wasn't scared of that. And then he broke down, went through the 12 stages. Now he said, I'm sorry. And he started crying. And then that didn't stop him either. He still threw him over the edge. So I didn't get any hint that he had any kind of weaknesses or there's anything he could have done to redeem I take my wish back. And that's good in a horror movie. It's just like no weakness, unstoppable. What do you do? I saw that as Krampus dragging Max into a false sense of security. You know, he puts out that hand and those long nails and he wipes that tear. And you almost think that he's going to help out Max and, and kind of redo everything he does. But no, he just throws him into hell. I think it didn't do as well in the theaters because I don't think a lot of people like that ending because again it leaned more into the horror of like they're trapped in a snow globe. If you get into simulation theory we are technically in a digital snow globe right but not everybody ready to kind of hear that so maybe that's why the audience score was so low they're like hey you said this was going to be a horror comedy but now this family's trapped in this globe forever but, but any horror comedy will always have the majority will be horror and there'll be traces of comedy i mean you take american werewolf in london there are some very funny bits in an american werewolf in london help me I didn't mean to call you a meatloaf, Jack! And then there are some absolutely terrifying bits. I don't know if you remember the scene where he goes into the porno theatre to try and hide himself from, you know, mm-hmm. evolving into the wolf. And they show this movie called See You Next Wednesday, which is a, a kind of a running gag with John Landis. These two people on, on the bed, you know, and they're, they're nude. And, and this other guy walks in and he says to the couple, you said you'd never do something like this again. And, and the man said, I never promised you anything. And he said, not you, I was talking to her. And she said, I've never seen you before in my life. And he goes... Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, I think part of the thing is this this movie does have a sort of a throwback feel. It feels like it could be in from the 80s or something like that. And those movies did lean into horror. I think now it's more the modern trend. You're going to lean into the comedy, and it's going to have horror elements. I think there's been a shift in that, and that could have been what audiences didn't like. They wanted more comedy. Again, because it was shot so beautifully, so it was almost like, in a weird way, appealing to look at it, where most, like, like really deep horror, it's, like, terrifying. It's like, I don't want to look at it. He has a very, like, you know, Tim Burton has a very... Very specific vibe when he creates his stuff. Now I'm seeing it with Mike Doherty between Trick or Treat and Krampus. He has a very specific vibe. To be fair, hats off to Michael Doherty for just touching on as many genres as possible. And I really, for me, the most effective thing about it, and I wish more and more directors would do it, was to take the practical road. You know, and, and not to cop out with too much CGI. Yeah, the gingerbread men were CGI, fair enough. But most of the stuff, 
the evil elves that burst into the house, Krampus himself, and much, much more, and that jack-in-the-box, and, and that angel, like, the work that went into that by the Weta Workshop in New Zealand, that's outstanding. We, we really want to see more and more of that. This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? Mario, I think you nailed it. Almost use the CGI to blend the practical effects rather than just completely replace it. This jack-in-the-box with the vertical jaw split where his jaw opened up this way so he can expand it to swallow little kids whole. He was like a boa constrictor. I'm a slathery little snake snake. An evil Christmas snake. Same thing with that little angel doll. These are the stuff that like nightmares are made of. Is it primal that we realize this is real versus CGI's? I'm not going to really be scared of that because it doesn't look real. I think so. I, I remember watching Mama by Andy Muschietti a few years ago and he's a fine director. He did a great job with It Chapter 1 and 2. You know the CGI just ruined it for me personally. It didn't land with me at all. When horror gets too CGI I, I just kind of tune out. When you look at movies of the 80s even the way the gremlins move when they were in the theater and they were kind of bouncing up and down like that and they were so jittery and everything there's just such a great feeling to that and and you know that an awful lot of hard work has gone into it as well as a film buff i just i want to see more and more of that we need to get more practical i do remember reading something about trey parker and matt stone when they made team america world police that they said they would never make a sequel because there was too much effort god fucking damn it as far as I'm concerned, you can't rush art. And I've always said to people, there are no shortcuts to anywhere worth going. Yeah. I think there's just like a certain uncanny valley in uh, CGI effects in a horror movie. Your brain just doesn't buy it. So I think they always lean into jump scares these days. That's where they try to get you. jump scares in this movie, actually. Yeah, yeah. The practical effects don't ruin it for you, you know. And is it because if it's a horror movie, it can be a little bit more forgiving in an action movie or even like a, a Marvel type movie. When it comes comes to a horror movie, the CGI, in a way, take away from it. Your inner compass knows that there's not real danger there. It's hard to believe that in, in Halloween H2O, that one of the masks in that was CGI. Yeah, there's a few yeah. shots with a CGI mask. I think it was because they actually, they filmed the uh, the shoot with a one mask, and when they went back for reshoots, they used a different mask, and in, somewhere in the editing process, they needed somehow get to blend the shots or something, or use shots from a different shoot, so they, had, they just CGI'd over it. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Before we end this, do we want to see a Michael Doherty sequel to Krampus? Well, given the fact that he hasn't done anything with Trick or Treat, he may just want to leave it alone. It's almost like, I've done that, it was good, and maybe he's cautious about ruining it with a sequel. He did Godzilla King of the Monsters, but he didn't do Godzilla vs. Kong. But, yeah, I, I certainly welcome a, a Krampus sequel, definitely. I'm fine if he wants to do a Krampus sequel, but I think if I'm at the studio, if I'm at Universal, I'm like, hey, Michael Doherty, let me put you in a room with Eli Roth, and you guys should talk about doing Thanksgiving. Oh, that's my pitch. That's it. Yes. That way he has the basically the holiday trilogy, the yeah. October, December. He's got it covered. All right. You got Trick or Treat. You got Krampus. Get with Eli Roth. Wow. We got to get these executives on the line. For I know. Some of these. They're watching. That would be. I would watch that in a millisecond. I would watch that. Arrive hungry. Happy Thanksgiving, Grandma. Then you stop. 
If you go to michaeldarty.com, he has all his pictures up. He has fantastic swag available. He has tons of merchandise for these characters. A great Krampus mask, little Sam. He's got that crazy angel that's going to give me nightmares. I think he is, instead of the sequel, I think he's just licensing this stuff out for theme park. There was a couple of shorts that were in there. You can get a lot of merch. You can get a lot of Krampus merch out there on the horror sites. The Weta Workshop actually, I'm told, do quite a lot of merch. They sell models of Krampus and that um, angel and the Jack in the Box. And they even sell a life-size version of the bell. What is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. They put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. He's low-key had one of the biggest careers ever. He's worked on huge properties for a long mm-hmm. time. But in many ways, he's a bit like Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright doesn't do a movie every two years. Edgar Wright chooses his movies very carefully. I think they're just being cautious, and, and they really want to put as much pre-production effort into it as possible without something going wrong. Very protective of their brand. You know, Tim Burton, another one. Their look and the aesthetic they create is their brand. I've got an Easter egg. I was telling Brendan that I was looking for the Blu-ray of this uh, yesterday when I was deciding if I was going to rent it or just go pick up the disc. There's a new 4K disc out, I think, from Arrow. They've been putting out some good DVDs. But apparently, there's extra footage in this other cut, and there is a scene where one of the kids has a box of candy, and when they open the box of candy, it's got the lollipop from Trick or Treat. Oh! So if you want to see that, I'm sure I'm sure somebody will post the clip on YouTube eventually. But that connection is actually was meant to be in the movie. Yeah, because that definitely is that same universe because it had the same feel Mm -hmm. to it. I can't get Thanksgiving out of my head. Like I want to see him make this now. (laughs) I want him to get that holiday trifecta. One other thing I want to mention: there's an actor in this movie, right? The kid who gets sucked up the chimney. You know, he, he's, he's this kind of ignoramus. He's sitting at the table, guzzling back a two liter of Mountain Dew. His name, and he's got the coolest name ever, Maverick Fleck. Yeah, that's his... <laughs> he looks like this annoying, really annoying little shit, you know, and then his his acting name is Maverick. That's Maverick. that's what happens when you name your kid Maverick. The kids, the parents, thought, probably thought they were it was going to be awesome. <laughs> he's going to be so cool, little Maverick, and then he's a... Howie Junior. Right? That's the Howie Junior character. Yeah. Which, when he got sucked up, that's when you realized all bets were off because the way his feet were trembling, could you just assumed he was getting mauled and then get sucked up the chimney, and then all you see is the the falling shoe. And, and there was even at times that you feared that the, the infant in it was in peril. Oh, oh yes, oh, yeah. we didn't even get to talk about the baby, which I felt like yeah. nobody was safe. And then the whole time you just had this crying baby that always amplifies any situation, right? A crying baby will get everybody on high alert, whether it's pets, dogs, other people, like something's in it. And this baby is crying the whole time. And it was up to Aunt Dorothy to protect this baby. Yeah, it was almost as if the parents had kind of abdicated responsibility to Aunt Dorothy um, to look after the infant. And um, no, she did a cracking job. And, you know, she really redeemed herself by picking up that shotgun, blowing the head off that teddy bear. But again, she met a grizzly end as well, like everybody yeah. else. She had the see you in hell line, right? See you in hell. Yeah. <laughs> 
before I go, I just want to put in that little plug. Um, I want to say hi to Michelle and Blasky. Um, I will be traveling to Northern California uh, either next April or May, where I will be working on a, an independent project with her uh, in an acting role, which is um, an homage fan film to Halloween 3, which, believe it or not, you know, we, we spoke about in, in our most recent podcast. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you guys do it over there because we we do it on a shoestring here and, and i'm sure they'll be doing it on a shoestring there but i'll be putting as much as possible into the role i'm, I'm actually playing a character who is similar to that of dana hurley's character conal corcoran uh, I don't want to give away too much, but um, I'm really excited about that in the new year. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll want to see that when it's done, and we'll put it over on the podcast for sure. And I can't think of a better great job to casting you in that role. You are an aficionado of that film, so I can't think of a better person to play in this film. So hats off to casting. Enjoy the horror fun, Doctor. And don't forget to watch the big giveaway afterwards. I've done a radio play. I've released a documentary recently, which is on YouTube called Forget Not the Boys. It's about young rebels in the 1920 War of Independence in Ireland. And, and that's done really well. It's probably one of the most successful things I've done to date. Um, again, I reiterate, um, a very happy Christmas to all of the listeners to the podcast gimmick. But I was talking to you backstage because I was saying, oh my God, we're so happy the holidays are here uh, and, and coming around. We're talking about the difference between the United States and, and Austria. They have a couple in, of traditions. In, in, uh, enormous. The uh, uh, universe is part of us. We have sort of the, the, the precursor to Santa Claus on the 6th of December, uh -huh. uh, St. Nicholas, that's the day. And on the eve of that day, we do the proper thing. Um, it's, it's a Catholic country. It works through traumatization. And... Um, <laughs> It, it, we have we we try to keep kids in 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 order and yeah. in their place and yeah. we have krampus now guys this is not a made-up thing it's they not. have krampus if if you want to krampus yeah yeah sorry about that krampus yes yeah uh, yeah i apologize and uh so krampus what does krampus do down to the kids he, 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 he hides around the house he's he's uh, saint nicholas's assistant Ooh, yeah. meaning you know we we look at the the the, the flip side sort of the dialectic approach that uh, saint nicholas comes with praise and presence and uh, wisdom and krampus krampus with uh, a stick a bag, and um, he threatens you, you with, you, if you weren't good, you get stuck in the bag and hit and shipped off. <laughs> oh. There's actually an old medieval uh, tradition that still is kept alive in the mountains where young men put literally on, you know, sheepskin that looks like that, only white, and masks like that, huge carved wooden masks, uh, cowbells, they get drunk, not necessarily, not necessarily in that order, they get drunk first and then they do the other, and they run, storm, like the, the, the riders of the apocalypse through the village, and, and... Uh, Krampus, you, Krampus Yes. They have a Krampus <laughs> I've heard Absolutely. of it. Most frightening thing in the whole wide world.